Mark chapter 7. If you found that, won't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. Mark chapter 7. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one provided for you in the pew rack. Uh, here at Hickory Grove, you'll need to have a Bible. It's just best to have one. You can follow along because the sermon will be, be very similar to being in a Bible study. We just go through and say, what does the Bible say? If you don't want to use the one in the rack, you probably can pull up the English Standard Version. That's what I'm preaching from. You can probably find that online. I'd just like for you to have it. If you don't want to do any of that, we'll have it up on the screen so that you can see where all of this comes from. Mark chapter 7. We'll begin in verse 14 and read down to verse 23. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin now. Verse 14. <clears throat> and he called the people to him again, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared, all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, and murder, adultery, coveting, and wickedness, and deceit, and sensuality, and envy, and slander, and pride, Foolishness, all of these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Join me as we pray. Father in heaven, we pray by the power of the Spirit through the merits, the work, the finished work of Jesus. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would help us today, that you would heal old wounds. I pray that you would restore a sense of joy. I pray especially for those that feel cold, dead. That you would shine the light, the warm, the life-giving light of the gospel. That today would be a day of change, and so help us now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. <laughs> Connie and I live in an older home. You get an older home, it comes with its own challenges and deficiencies. Our house was built in 1971, and evidently in 1971, uh, by judging by the closets, nobody had clothes in 1971. <laughs> also, nobody wanted to use the bathroom in 1971. Our bathroom was small. Small closets, small bathrooms. You buy a house in 1971, if nothing has changed from the time it was built, then you probably have a well and septic. That's what we have. Never signed on, hooked up to city water. Maybe one day we will. 
That means that when it thunders bad here in Charlotte, North Carolina, in August, like it has, that means that lightning strikes, I don't know if a squirrel jumps on the line, we lose power all the time. And if you lose power in my house, you don't just lose electricity. You lose water. One bad thunderstorm sends me and Connie back to the dark ages. One afternoon, the lights came back on. It turns out that the water did not. So I called the man to see what the problem is, the man being the repair man. And he came and inspected it, and the well pump was dead. So they came to replace it, and it was fascinating to watch. I went out into the yard and watched the entire process. They pulled the pump out of the bottom of the well, pulled all that pipe out, fixed the pump, put it all back in. And as the repairman was finishing, putting it all back together, before he put the cap on top of the well, he took a cup of bleach and poured it into the water. I said, what is that for? He said, well, we want to kill any bacteria that might have gotten into your well while we were working on it. I said, I think it's a great idea. Put that bleach in there. So he put the bleach in there, and he said, now, listen, um, you might smell and taste Clorox for the next few days. <laughs> so every time I had a glass of water, every, cough of, every cup of coffee that I made, every time I got under the shower. In fact, about that time, somebody asked me, had I lightened my hair? <laughs> like I was using sun in or something in my hair. I was not. I could smell, I could even taste the bleach. Why? Because the bleach was in the water source. If you wake up one morning and you don't feel well and that ill feeling persists, you go to the doctor and he can't figure out what the problem is and so he starts to do tests on you. And after several tests, he comes back into the room, the grim look on his face to tell you that a lot of you have gone through this, that, that you have cancer. But the cancer is not localized. It's not in one spot. The cancer has gotten into your very bloodstream. And the cancer has affected everything that your source your lifeblood touches. So what you thought was just a serious medical issue, and cancer is that, has now become something far, far worse. Now I open with these two brief examples because in the text, Jesus, the great physician, is telling us that we have a problem that we can't fix. All too often, <clears throat> you find out you have a problem, all too often we, we, we seek to treat the symptoms, and I'm all for treating symptoms. There are times when I have symptoms and I want those symptoms treated, but too often all we do is treat symptoms of issues and we never actually get to the root cause. So we try education and we try culture and 
We try reformation. We try correction. When in fact, what is needed to save us is a radical change in the human heart. There is no power in the world that can make a bad heart good. Only the gospel can do that. The Bible says that only the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Now let's get to the text. Here in the text, Jesus, Jesus is going to tell us why the world is the way it is. Now look, this passage in front of us that I've read you, if you're a visitor today, I recognize. I recognize this passage and this sermon are not for the faint of heart. But like an honest doctor, Jesus is going to show us what the problem is, the problem we have. But unlike any physician that has ever walked the face of the earth, Jesus not only shows us what the problem is, Jesus is willing to become the solution for you. Because our problem like to write things down, you can write this one down. Our problem is not what we do. Our problem is who we are. Our problem is not what we do, good or bad things. It's not your problem, that's a symptom. Our problem is who we are. I tell you what, let's do. Let's do what we normally have. In the last several weeks, we've been going back through the text, picking things up. Let's go back, read it. I'll provide some commentary as we go along, then we'll come back and make some application and let that be the sermon. So first commentary and then points of application. Join me there in verse 14. Let's go back to it. <clears throat> verse 14, the text says that he called and he called the people to him again. Okay, pause. He's been talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. They were talking to him because his disciples were not washing their hands ceremonially before they ate. And the scribes and the Pharisees who had come down from Jerusalem, they are trying to find a way to trap Jesus. And so they're having a conversation and Jesus excoriates them in, in chapters 7, 1 through 13. So after that's done in a private conversation with the scribes and the Pharisees, verse 14 says, Jesus called everybody over. Come over here. I want you to hear this. Verse 14. He called the people to him and again he said to them, I want you to hear me, but not just the words. Let them uh, go into your ears. I want you to understand. We're going to use that as our first point. We'll come back. Verse 15, here's a broad statement he makes to anyone that would hear it. Verse 15, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person, that's what defiles him. You see, it's, a, it's from the, the heart that the mouth speaks. Some of your versions might have verse 16. Most of our versions drop over to verse 17. The reason is that verse 16 is not found in most manuscripts. Most translations like mine put it down at the bottom and it tells us that Jesus said something like, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then verse 17, we find out the people disperse. Verse 17, the disciples and Jesus, at the end of the day, they go to have a discussion. Let's pick it up in verse 17. When he had entered the house, Maybe that's Peter's house at Capernaum. 
when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. So they're meeting. There are 13 of them, 12 disciples and Jesus. They're having a conversation, and it's like it has been. They still are not getting it. You can hear the frustration in the voice of Jesus in verse 18 and 19. He said to them, then are you without understanding? If you read it literally in Greek, it's like this. Are you really that dull? You're not getting this? That's the tone, verse 18. He said to them, are you also without understanding? Do you not see? So he's, this is how you have to be sometimes, just as plain as you can possibly be. They're not getting it. You've got to be specific. So here's what Jesus does, verse 18 and 19. It's very specific. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, verse 19, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and then is expelled? If you're reading it in Greek, in fact, yours might say it down at the bottom, goes into the latrine. You eat, this is what Jesus said, you eat and you go to the bathroom. Doesn't affect your heart. So the disciples, I feel like they're getting it now. Verse 20, and he said, what comes out, you see, in verse 20, what comes out of a person is, def is what defiles him. And then here comes the list, verse 21 to 23. Here's the list that Jesus gives. You find lists all through the New Testament, but this is the only one Jesus gives. It is not an exhaustive list. It is a representative list. I'll just read it. Verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft and murder and adultery and coveting, wickedness and deceit and sensuality and envy and slander and pride and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and that defiles the person. You see, the problem is not what we do. Our problem is not what we do. Jesus says, your problem is who you are. If that's the case, then how do we change? How do we change who we are? If it's not so much what we're doing, how do we change what's inside? I'd like to, I'd like to use that word change and drive the rest of the sermon. Here's the first point, number one, if you want to write things down. Number one, change, change starts with comprehension, when you understand. You see that and hear that in the voice of Jesus in verse 14? Don't you understand? Change starts some of you say, I don't like to read because they don't pick it up. I feel like I have to read something over and over again to get it. You feel like you have a problem with reading comprehension. Well, I'm not talking about reading comprehension. I am talking about understanding what does it take to be a Christian. Jesus says that in verse 14. I want you to hear like the words. You see them, don't you? I want you to hear me and also understand, to comprehend. What does it mean to comprehend? It means not just that you agree with Christianity or that you don't have anything against Christianity. It means a full and complete surrender of your life to the Lordship of Jesus. In fact, I would boil it down to four or five things that you really have to understand to become a Christian. Here's the first one. What do you, what do you need to comprehend? I think you need to understand your purpose why did God create you? Why are you here on this earth? One of the things you need to settle 
is the understanding that God has created you for a purpose. That purpose primarily is that your life might honor him, that you were created in the image of God, that God and his goodness created you in his image. But it's not just that he created you not randomly, but for a purpose. You need to get that. You get that? Comprehend it. There's something else you need to comprehend that we miss oftentimes. That second thing is we need to comprehend our state of being. What's going on with us? What's our problem? Our state of being is that we were created by God in his image, but that image of God, we, we know it has been tainted by sin. There's, nothing, there's nobody in here that anyone that would say, yeah, I'm not a sinner. Now, a lot of times, a lot of times we excuse it by saying, well, nobody's perfect, or yeah, I have made mistakes. That is not our condition. Our condition is that we are predisposed to do those things that dishonor God. That's our condition. We were born into it. You didn't come into this world with, as a blank sheet of paper and your environment wrote on that sheet of paper and that's how you turned out. That is not what happened. Your environment certainly will have some effect on how you end up, but not the full effect. We come into this world with a predisposition toward sin. Where did we get that? Well, we got that from our first parents, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and that's when creation fell. That's why this world is cursed, and we have inherited it from them. A lot of you can look at your parents, and you know you have some of the attributes that they have. I can do that. Not too long ago, I got a swimming pool at our house, walked by a window. It's a bay window, so I thought it was reflecting the driveway, and I thought, oh, Dad's here. It wasn't my dad I was looking at. It was me. That's how old I've gotten, by the way. All of you here, you have some sort of trait. You know what trait you have from your parents that they got from their parents and all the way back? You have the tendency toward sin. You came with that. One of the things we need to get a hold of and understand is not just how we were created and why, but we need to understand our condition as being those that are sinners. And if we are in sin, that we are enemies of God. We're in a bad state. The third thing to understand and comprehend. And that is that there is only one solution. One solution. The solution is not you being better, being a nicer guy, that you're acting right, getting your act together, that you're living clean. All of those things are great. I hope that you'll do those. Quit drinking. All of those things are great. I hope that you'll do those. That's not, that's not the solution. The solution, the Bible tells us, is Jesus. You see, God is, of course, a God of wrath that will punish sin, but he's also a God of love who gives us Jesus. So the gospel story is that Jesus lived perfectly in a way we can't because we have a sinful nature. He didn't. He did that in our place as our representative. And the cross is important for Christianity because at the cross, what happens there is that God punishes a sinner. Now, it should have been us, but God puts his wrath on his own son who has taken our sin. But that's not all he did. It's called the great exchange. If Jesus takes your sin, he gives you his righteousness. That's the gospel story. God 
as Danny Aiken said it best, God kills his son instead of killing you. That's the gospel. So there's three things you need to understand. You need to understand God's purpose. You understand our state of mind, who we are, we're sinners. The third thing is, is understanding the only solution is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The fourth thing we need to understand is grace, something I think we miss. We miss what it means to be saved by God's grace, that God will save us when we put our faith in what Christ has done for us, and he saves you not because he sees your potential. Or it doesn't save you because you were special. You are not special. He didn't look at you and think, you know what? She's going to, she has so much talent and can be such a great use to the kingdom of God. I'm going to save her to use her. That's not what God sees. We've been reading Ephesians 2 today and we've been talking about the, how, how we're children of wrath like the rest of mankind, how we were dead in our sin. To be dead in sin is not just to not be responsive. To be dead is to be, to be rotting, to be putrefaction. That when God looked at you, he doesn't see someone's going to be, could be really be great. He sees death. And the fact that he would bring you here on this Sunday to hear the gospel, that he might save you today, that is God's grace. There's nothing about us that makes God want to love us. He does it because he is God and is a God of love and grace. It's a good thing for us to get a hold of, of what grace is. I'll give you a fifth thing. I need to move quickly. We need to have a, a comprehension of what repentance is, what it means to take all that you've heard. So you've heard the gospel today. What it means to take all of that and it, it become yours. How does that become yours? Instead of just some information out there, it is you saying, I want that. I am a sinner condemned to hell. I need, some, some, I need something to save me. I have heard the only solution is Jesus. I believe it. To turn from your sin and my faith, trust that Jesus died for you. Change starts with comprehension. I'm going to give you a second point. We'll pick up the pace a little bit. Here's point number two. Change. Change takes root when we reject shallowness. Don't you hate shallowness? Well, I do. I mean, we, we need to see the deeper issues and realize the need for radical change. Let me show it to you in verse 15. <clears throat> verse 15 Jesus says, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can, the important word here is defile. Nothing can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him, to make common, to make painted is the word defile. Interesting word, you find 11 times in the New Testament, nine times uh, that you find the word defile, Jesus is using it. Every time you see it in the New Testament, Every single time, it has something to do with God, His holiness, and our lack of holiness. All too often today, I've seen several things happen in the modern church, and I, I pray that it doesn't happen at Hickory Grove. All too often in modern-day Christianity, the worship service and the church itself is turned into, into a carnival. 
I've been, lately I've been seeing several churches have these themed worship services and the theme has to do with a movie. So one church have a Barbie themed worship service. I don't know that I can say anything to keep and not sin and say it about that. So that happens in churches, um, but that's probably not what, that's probably not what Tim Sosa was. Sometimes in churches you'll find, um, find that they become this prosperity help sessions to help you actually flourish, to prosper, or, or, or worse, what is the temptation is to become this bigoted, legalistic, oppressive. And what Jesus is saying in the passage is, we have a heart issue. Isn't that what Jeremiah said? Jeremiah 17, 9. Jeremiah said that the heart is deceitful. The heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Look, all the behavior management in the world, all the discipline in the world, and I, I think you ought to be disciplined, but all the discipline in the world can't change the heart. What did Jesus say to the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 27? Woe to you, Pharisees and scribes. You're like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but inside it's dead men's bones and all kind of uncleanness. There are people sitting in this church right now, right now. You look like you have it all together, and yet you are completely dead inside. And the promise of the gospel is it doesn't have to be like that. By the power of God, by what Christ has done for you on the cross, God will forgive you and change you and restore you and fill you. You see, change, change finds its root when we reject shallowness. I'll make you a third point and I'll make this the last We'll go through it. Number three, change is complete when you get two things on opposite ends, like a seesaw, two things you got to have. Got to have a good understanding of depravity, write that word down, depravity, and also you got to have an understanding of grace. When you get depravity and grace. All right, I'm going to fly quickly. Verse 17 and 18, the disciples, they are dull. Jesus decides in verse 19, I'm going to be as clear as I can possibly be and spell it out for you. He does so that they understand, hey, it's the heart that is the issue. Then in verse 20 and 21, 22 and 23, what you have there is the Lord Jesus giving us an explanation of depravity. Depravity. In fact, let's, let's use the doctrine total. Write it down, total depravity. Total depravity is misunderstood. Oftentimes we hear the word depraved, and when we use the word depraved, we're thinking of something terrible, something egregiously terrible and sickening is depraved. That is not what total depravity is. Total depravity is the well has been polluted. Total depravity is the cup of bleach that has gone into the well and it has tainted the entire water source. Total depravity says that everything about who we are has been 
polluted by sin. All of our consciousness has been tainted by sin. Puritans used to say that uh, our, our tears of repentance need to be repented of. Verse 20, verse 20, Jesus says that the most deadly contamination is not what I touch. The most deadly contamination is in my heart. And then Jesus does something he doesn't do anywhere else. He gives a representative list. I'd like to go through it as quickly as I can. He starts with a general statement in verse 21. It is a general statement. Look what he says in verse 21. <clears throat> For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts. Dia logizomai. Evil talk, evil self-talking. Evil conversation that you have with yourself. Ponderings and desires. Hey, look, this has, this has a lot to speak to where does sin begin. Is it in what you do or who you are? It starts with evil thoughts, Jesus says, ponderings and desires and, and schemes and plans and attractions. Your attractions, daydreams and intentions, motivations, not just action. It's not you being able to say, well, I can look, but I can't touch. Jesus said, no, you, you've lusted. You've committed adultery. But what's behind the action? So he says it's evil thoughts, and that is the overarching, overarching theme. And then underneath there are 12. He lists them. I'll go quickly. The first six are listed in plural. You won't see it in your Bible. If you're reading it in Greek, I think maybe the New American Standard might have it like that. If you're reading it in Greek, it would, it would be plural. So let's just look at it like that. He begins with sexual immoralities. Sexual immoralities. What is that? That's the Greek word pornea. It's where we get the word pornography. It's a general term has to do with all sexual sins that are contrary to God's will. So premarital sex, extramarital sex, homosexuality, transsexuality, all of those things. And, and notice he says in plural, sexual immoralities, the pornea, pornography, every click, not just one look, but every time you looked at it. It's all counted up. They, they come from the heart, wrong desire. And then he starts in the next four that he lists. Those come out of the Ten Commandments. Theft, it's taking from someone, something that is not yours. That's the eighth murder, killing an innocent person. That's the sixth, adultery, violating the marriage covenant. That's the seventh, coveting. It's sort of the, the commandment. You shall not covet. It covers all of them. That's the tenth one. Wickedness is behavior that's intentionally mean or hard-hearted. Deceit, think of Judas. Deceit is betraying a friend with a kiss. Look like a friend, but it's a trick. Sensuality, Jesus says that, that word sensuality uh, is this unbridled, shameless living that's lacking any sort of moral discernment or even care. Get in your mind something you've seen on a movie like a terrible college frat party where people are drinking to the point of throwing up and it's just debauchery. That's kind of the word. Envy, that literally is the evil eye being jealous. Jealousy that wanders into resentment, never satisfied. Slander, that's the word blasphemy to, 
to say something evil about God or about someone else. Pride, which is arrogance or the sense of, of, of superiority. Foolishness. What a word, foolishness. Foolishness is an appropriate one to end on. Why? Because Psalm 14, 1 tells us that the fool says in his heart that there is no God. They are corrupt. They are abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. Or, or, or as Jesus says, verse 23, all these evil things come from within. They defile the person. You see, it's not unwashed hands. It's an unwashed heart. Our problem is not what we do. Our problem is who we are. And Paul says in Ephesians 2, God has a solution. This is the solution. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked and following the course of this world, you follow the prince of the power of the air, that spirit that is now at work all around you and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We carried out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and he seated us with him in the heavenly places so that, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's a gift not of works, so that no one would boast. For we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. Jesus Christ, he is our hope in life. He is our hope in death. You join me as we pray together. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. With your heads bowed this morning, let's go to the Lord in just a moment of prayer and confession. Part of our, part of our tradition here at Hickory Grove is to provide at the end of a sermon an opportunity for response. We use one final song. We'll sing together. And we would invite any of you that would like to come and pray here, uh, here at the stairs, just kneel and pray. Maybe you want a pastor to pray with you. Maybe you have somebody you want to pray for. That's the time to do that. 
We're a church that worships and believe in prayer, we believe in interceding. You wanna pray for someone, now's the time to do that when we sing. Maybe you wanna stay in your pew and just thank God. You heard today, it resonated with what you know and believe and you thank God for it. Maybe you heard today something that at last clicked. You got it. You comprehended. You'd like to talk further about what it means to give your life to Jesus Christ. All along the pews here in the front, our pastors are sitting. They'll be standing there. You want to come and talk to them, please come. Take a pastor by the hand and say, I, I need to find out how to be saved. If none of that appeals to you and yet you still have questions, we'll all be in the We'll all be in the lobby. Church is over. You take one of us by the hand and say, I need to talk to a pastor. We'll walk you through what it means to give your life to Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the word that is good, for the spirit that moves, for worship that brings healing. And I pray now that your spirit would find us faithful and use us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand, please, as we sing together?